0: Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Lainey Yunkin. Lainey is a weight loss dietitian and nutrition communication specialist based in Boston, Massachusetts. Her mission is to help people get out of a dieting mentality and into a healthy lifestyle. She has an all foods fit approach and is passionate about helping her clients change their mindsets and habits so they can get results without feeling restricted or deprived. Lainey's practice is 100% virtual and she coaches individuals one on one through her group program, Make Over Your Plate, and through her membership, the Nutrition Lifestyle Society. When she's not coaching clients or writing nutrition articles, you can find her trying to keep up with her 4-year-old and 2-year-old boys drinking ice lattes or traveling. In the episode, Lainey shares why she's not a huge fan of calorie or macro counting, how to set up your plate for weight loss that lasts, some of her go-to breakfasts, lunches and dinners, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. If you're a wine lover like me, but haven't made the switch to natural wines, you're going to want to listen up because natural wines can change your life. You see, alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles, which is how they're able to sneak in sugar and other additives. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come to the rescue. Their natural wines are lab tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wines, even the most expensive top-rated conventional wines give me a headache and just make me feel kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines yourself, you're gonna be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash the health investment, or just click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been yo-yo dieting for years, but nothing you've tried has helped you keep the weight off long-term, I'm so happy you're hearing this. Outside of hosting this podcast, I help people lose weight for the last time without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, eating clean 24-7, or other unsustainable extremes. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that only provide short-term results and suck the fun out of life, I help you make evidence-based habit changes and mindset shifts so you can drop those pesky pounds for good, feel completely in control around food, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself. You can learn more about my programs at thehealthinvestment.com. And please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions at all. I always love hearing from you. All right, it's time to hear from Lainey. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Lainey. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Brooke. I'm excited to be here.
0: I know we were just chatting about our recent moves. We've both been moving—just short, short, couple blocks for me, a mile away for you. But yeah. crazy summer, but good things. Good things to clean things out and. You know, be in a new space, but yes, for sure, moving makes me never want to move again. I don't know about you. Yeah,
1: it's true. And then I realized <laughs> how much the like physical clutter like causes like mental clutter. You know, so I'm like, uh, I gotta clean. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: organized.
0: I've had people on the podcast to talk about that because I'm such a big believer in kind of decluttering and freeing up mental space for healthier habits. You know, like a lighter kitchen feels like you can kind of do more in there, but. Um, yeah. yeah. So happy totally. to have you here. Would you share with us what led you to become a registered dietitian in the first place and then to also have your focus be on helping people with weight loss?
1: Yeah. So my mom was actually a personal trainer, so I grew up around fitness and exercise. We had a gym in our house and my parents were in marathons. They were very active. So I was always like interested in health and fitness and then I knew I wanted to help people in some capacity, so I went to school and I was like I'll just study psychology and be a counselor. I can help people. But after the first semester, I learned that you have to go to like two years of grad school. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> Which is like ridiculous. Cause I ended up going to three years more of school after college. But I also just wanted like a more specific niche, I guess, to to focus on versus just like general counseling. And so because I had the exercise background, um, I kind of leaned towards nutrition because my school actually didn't have an exercise major. So I was like, nutrition seems cool. That's like the other piece of healthy lifestyle. And I don't know that much about it. So I'm going to study it. So I did that. I did the track to become a dietitian, which means... After the four years of undergrad, I applied to um, the dietetic internship, which is like a matching process. And that brought me to Boston, which I had never been to. And funny, because I know you're in Oakland. I went to school in South. I grew up in the Midwest. I went to school in South Carolina. And then I was like, my husband and I were engaged. We were going to get married. And I was like, let's just move somewhere new. So I applied in San Francisco and Boston, and I had never been to either city. And I got matched in Boston and we moved here and we never left. So we're still here, but we always think about what if we would have ended up in San Francisco? It's so crazy. So, oh, that is crazy. Isn't that funny? So yeah. anyways, that's a tangent. But how I got into weight loss was um, I did my internship here. Then I went on and did a master's for two years in nutrition communication. And I just didn't want to work like hospital jobs. I still wanted to help people in kind of that outpatient counseling capacity, which I find much more rewarding. So I kind of started a private practice right out of grad school. and At first I took anyone because my dad was like, you just need a paying client. You know, everybody talks about like niching down, but it's like, when you start out, you just need money. So (laughs) you need clients. So I took all kinds of people, decided what I liked and what I didn't like. And over time, my population really narrowed down to kind of like young women who had gotten out of college got a job, got busy, gained five to 20 pounds and really just wanted to like get that extra weight off and learn how to meal plan and learn how to eat healthy. So that's who I started seeing and then really kind of niched it down over time. And I my population has kind of aged with me, I guess you'll say like now I have young kids and I have a lot of moms and people wanting to lose baby weight and stuff like that. So that's how I got into this area.
0: Awesome. I love talking to people about weight loss because that's my niche as well, and yes. my passion. So I would love to hear from you. This is always my favorite question: is the misconceptions question. What would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions out there about weight loss?
1: Yeah, this is a good one. I know you and I have very similar philosophies. So I am really uh, not loving the "eat less, move more" message. So. Yes. Like on paper, it makes sense in scientific journal articles. Like we get it. You need a calorie deficit. But unfortunately in my practice, I've just seen that doctors or other people just telling people to eat less and move more has been really detrimental because it drives people to just chase fad diets to undereat, not eat enough, um, over exercise. And one, it's like, it, it's detrimental to, to their hormones. And two, it just doesn't lead to sustainable results because I mean, I always tell people like hungry people are not successful with sustainable weight loss. Like if you're hungry, mm-hmm. you're not going to be successful. Like you have to fuel yourself properly and understand it's not just the quantity, but the quality of what you're eating. And, and um, you know, it's not just that exact math equation of calories in calories out. So,
0: yeah, I love that one. And as you were just saying that, I was thinking a lot of people say to me, and I'm sure they say to you that they feel like food kind of controls them. Not the other mm-hmm. way around, and so, if they're feeling that way when they're not working on their nutrition, but then they're also feeling hungry all the time when they're trying to lose weight, it's like you're still having food kind of control you all your thoughts are constantly about food, right maybe when you're dieting or not, mm-hmm. and you're you're trying to get to a place where you feel like the one in control, and it's not just this out of control feeling of hunger or overeating or you know just all of these things that um can lead to weight loss or sorry to weight gain and prevent you from losing weight totally what about so you mentioned the fad dieting how would you say somebody's life looks different when they are on the path to sustainable weight loss versus trying a diet or a fad
1: okay so the word that comes to mind is freedom because it's kind of like what you're just saying like My goal is to help people think less about, about food, not more. So Mm -hmm. when we can teach them the tools, um, you know, to create sustainable habits and a habit is an automatic behavior, right? So then we aren't thinking about it as much anymore. It just becomes part of our routine and our life. So I think about my clients when they're done working with me, like they no longer feel restricted, deprived, guilty, I mean, my passion is just to get people out of that all or nothing mentality, like stop seeing foods as good or bad. Like it's all or nothing. Like I'm on the program or off the program. Like that to me is dieting and sustainable weight loss is like, not that (laughs) it's the opposite Mm -hmm. of that. It's like this gray area. Right. But it's like, you have to have that mindset shift first. And that's a journey of course, and a process, but you won't ever like have sustainable weight loss if you can't get that mindset piece in in place first.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate your Candidness on your Instagram, especially in your stories, and sharing you know, you eat pizza, I eat pizza. I mean, I always like to say I'm not this perfect person who eats perfectly all the time and restricts or doesn't have the occasional cookie or ice cream. I mean, for me, weight control in a sustainable manner is all about enjoying these things without the shame and the guilt, like you're saying. can you speak more to that? Like, how do you how do you help people get to the place where they enjoy those things without shame and guilt?
1: So, yeah, that's a good one. So, I mean, I think I just remind people, like, it doesn't have to be this drastic change. And actually, one of my big passions is teaching people about the science of sustainable weight loss. And so- We actually know from the research that like crash dieting and like losing a bunch of weight at one time, like 10 to 20 pounds or more, not only is like not sustainable because if you only like, right. Okay. So if you diet for a certain amount of time, like if you can't keep eating that way forever, like you're going to gain the weight back, right? Because if you add calories back in after you've been restricting, you're going to gain the weight back. But also inside your body biologically, you know, we have this set point weight range our body likes to stay within. And so when we crash diet really quickly and we lose a bunch of weight quickly, our body, body fights back to get to that set point. But the research shows that if we lose weight a slow and steady rate of about half a pound to a pound a week, and we lose about five to 10% of our body weight at a time, and then we work to maintain that weight for like three to six months before we try to lose another five to 10%, we can actually permanently move the set point down. And so, I mean, knowledge is power, right? But I mean, like it is and it isn't. Like a lot of us know what to do and we have a hard time doing it, but like even just opening people's eyes to like why diets don't work from like a scientific perspective of like what's going on in your body and your hormones and your biology, I think is helpful for a lot of people. And then I don't know. I just like reminding people, like you ate a brownie, like it's not the end of the world. Like why you're not bad. Like food, it does not hold moral value. You're not good or bad for choosing to eat something or not eat something like, right. So Mm -hmm. just reminding people of that, which is definitely a process and a journey and, and more so for some than others, depending on their history of dieting and their relationship with food.
0: And food is delicious.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, like, and then writing people, like, you don't have to have this drastic change. You can create a very small calorie deficit that's sustainable and still see results, right?
0: Right. Do you have clients come to you when they're first starting to work with you and say something like, oh, I only lost a half pound or a pound this week. And then you have that moment of no, that's a good thing. (laughs) Like we've been trained, right?
1: Like it's a staircase. It's not like a linear line and like, you're not going to lose weight every week. And like, even reminding someone, like if you only lost a pound a month, that's 12 pounds at the end of the year. But like, how about you don't, like, you're not going to gain it back this time. So. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Right. Which is, yeah. So much more appealing if you take the long view of, or let's say it is a pound a week, or like you said, 12. Let's say if we're losing a pound a month, or if it's a pound a week, 52. I mean, that's a big number by the end of the year. Um, and then you're not going to ever do the New Year's resolution diet starts Monday stuff again, right?
1: Yeah, and reminding people the scale does not measure fat, like the scale Mm. measures everything in your body. Like, you know, you have these conversations with people, I'm sure. I like. I'm like, do I seriously have to remind people this again? But you know, for us, we're in it every day. So we're like, oh, people don't know this yet, but then I get a new client. I'm like, your the scale is like your bones, your muscle, your fluid, your period, all this stuff, right? Like you ate sodium, it retains water. So like, I just tell people to look at their weight. It's kind of this three to five pound range. So you can't freak out if it goes up or down half a pound or whatever. We're trying to shift like the range down. And then I do have them measure like their waist circumference or progress photos or something else. Um, maybe monthly, just because it's fat loss at the end of the day, not necessarily weight loss that people are after. So that can help us see that um,
0: progress. Right. I don't even own a scale. I used to, the building I just lived in had a gym and had this old kind of scale like you'd see in the doctor's office. So I found it kind of fun to play around with. And I weighed myself more there just, and I'd never done that in my life, but Mm. just kind of as a little point of gathering data. And it was interesting because I started strength training and so I gained weight, but then my clothes were fitting better. So I would share that, you know, that Yeah, I'm gaining weight, but I'm not freaking out because I know what's going on. And I also have other measurements, like you said, measuring waist circumference or how clothes are fitting or just how you feel. How you feel.
1: I was gonna say how you feel. Like that's yeah, yeah, that and that's so important to share with people is like you can gain weight and feel better and have your clothes actually be looser, right? Because you're gaining muscle, takes up more space.
0: Totally. And yeah, now I don't have a scale anymore and it's just really how are the genes fitting?
1: <laughs> yeah. And and the scale is not the best approach for everyone too, so it definitely should yep. be taken on an individual basis.
0: Totally. What would you say so a client starts working with you, what are some of the biggest nutrition mistakes you find that people are making before working with you?
1: <laughs> okay, so once people are like successful and they're done working with me I'll, and I'll say, you know, what do you think was like the biggest factor in you getting these results? and like nine times out of 10, they'll be like, I just wasn't eating enough vegetables. Like Mm. every time they come to me, they're like, I eat pretty healthy, which most of my clients are like, they're not living on fast food or anything. Like they're eating pretty healthy, but they're just not eating enough vegetables. And so really focusing on that fiber piece because the fitness industry and lots of diets really, uh, harp on protein, right? Like Mm -hmm. protein, 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 which is great, but fiber is just as important if not more. And so just kind of, you know, Reminding people of that piece and and bringing those vegetables into the picture is one mistake. Um, Let's see. Another one would be too much cardio, not enough strength training. Like we were just talking about lifting weights, and I'm sure you see this too. And that, unfortunately, I believe comes from the eat less, move more messaging that sends people to the treadmill at the gym and looking at how many calories they're burning in a session to just try to burn as many calories as possible. But it backfires because that type of intense cardio makes people hungry and then they eat back all the calories. Also, as you know, when you strength train, you burn calories during the session and following the session for the next 12 to 24 hours, right? And so we build that lean muscle mass that can burn calories for you even at rest. So just helping people like shift that ratio of of strength and cardio to not just be doing cardio
0: exercise. I think the Apple watches and Fitbits and things, they've made, they kind of gamified mm steps and things in a way that can be really fun for people. I know my husband loves hitting a step count every day, and that's really kind of a fun thing for him. But I think at the same time, then there's all of those other numbers that can be misleading, right? Like the Mm -hmm. calorie calories burned on the Apple watch. And then, like you said, maybe either consciously or subconsciously, somebody's eating extra to make up for the calories lost because they think, Oh my gosh, I just burned 300 calories or 500 on the elliptical at the gym. So I think it's such a good idea for people if they have that to look at something like the number of steps and make it kind of fun and just think I'm exercising for my mental health, my heart health, my overall health, but not for the weight loss piece. Do you, where do you fall on that?
1: I agree. Like, I think, yeah, I agree. Like it's a helpful tool for people, but I, I agree. People should look at the steps and not like people need to get away from looking at the number of calories burned on like an Apple watch or a treadmill, because those things are so bad at estimating. Like it's really hard to estimate how many calories someone burns in a day. Right. Like it's just all an estimate. So right. it's an estimate and then we tr- people treat it like this exact math equation putting it into like my fitness pal and like you know but your body's not like it's not like
0: that. <laughs> right. Do you have people do calorie counting like through my fitness pal when they work with you or how do you manage that?
1: So when people come to me they've pretty much done my fitness pal calorie counting, weight watchers, noom, you know, probably mm-hmm. similar to you like they've tried all the things, yeah. keto, paleo, everything. So I work first to get them away from that because I think that calorie counting leaves them in this like um just what you and I were talking about, like, make, like, uh, putting the exercise in and then eating it back and plus it's time consuming and it's annoying and it's tedious. And we're trying to get people to think less about food, not think more about food. So I have people take pictures of their food. So, because Mm -hmm. I give them a visual of like the healthy plate, which we can talk about. And then they take pictures in an app and, um, I review it once a week and give them feedback and then we can talk about it in our calls. But that is like, Easier, first of all, because all you have to do is pull out your phone and snap a picture. But two, it's visual. So we're not even like measuring anything or counting anything or adding up anything, just snapping a picture. And the research shows that tracking helps with weight loss. Like people who track are most successful, but doesn't have to be in a calorie counting app, even just writing it down or taking a picture. Mm -hmm. So that's what I have people do. But if we get to a place where people are stuck or they really feel like they're at a plateau or they're not seeing results or the pictures aren't helping, I may have them jump into my fitness pal for like a few days just to... You know, see where they're at. Like, it can be very eye opening for people to be like, oh my word, I drink 600 calories of wine every night.
0: I had no idea.
1: It's a good tool. Plus, if people have never measured things and don't even know, you know, what different servings and portions look like, it can be very helpful for that. But it's all tools, not all used forever.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's such a mindset shift for some people. I have a new client and I was saying, would you be open to tracking? Uh, your food in this food journal that I have and taking pictures of it. And she said, yeah, but I don't think I want to do it forever. And I was like, oh yeah, no, 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 <laughs> uh, no. I don't want you to, yeah. I don't want you to do it forever either. But I think a lot of people, you know, the marketing is so great for these things, the My mm-hmm. Fitness pal and all the things, new Weight Watchers. Um, so people get caught up in this cycle of, or this thought process of I have to do this forever. And I think the word tool is so, so critical that Hmm. if you're going to count calories, it can be just like a scale can be a good point of data. That could be good data for you. If you kind of look at it like a scientist and take the emotion out of it, Yeah, it doesn't have to be something you do forever or that you know, you went over a certain number of calories for a day. It's not to feel guilty or shameful. It's just to kind of gather data. And like you said, knowledge is power. The more self-awareness, the more knowledge you have about your habits, the more empowered you can eventually feel.
1: Totally agree. It's all data point. That's what I always tell people about the scale. I'm like, you have to trend out because when people are zoomed in and they're like looking from last week to this week, it's like, oh my word, it went up like my weight loss graph. But I'm like, you got to zoom out and pretend like you're looking at it over three to six months time period Uh because then it it is funny because if you look at like one of my clients graphs over that time I'll be like remember that time in November right there where the like dot went up and you freaked out but look you've lost 12 pounds now over the last like however many months right so yeah,
0: reminding people I like
1: that look at it like a scientist just kind of remove the emotions from it
0: yeah yeah and also speaking of these calorie counting apps I mean way to suck the fun out of life. (laughs) If you feel like when you're, you know, we were talking, you were in San Francisco this summer and I said, did you go to Zuni Cafe? One of my favorites. And they have this amazing chicken and French fries. I mean, if you're sitting there enjoying this beautiful meal and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, how am I going to log this into my fitness pal? That just seems like a terrible way to live.
1: Oh, totally. Brooke, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't even think I've made it more than a day tracking something before in my fitness pal. I think I've made it to dinner and been like, screw this. This
0: (laughs) It's too hard,
1: too time consuming. And yeah,
0: that's so funny because the other day I thought maybe I should track calories just to kind of see. And I too, I downloaded my fitness pal and I did it for Probably two meals, and I was like, "That that's it. This is ridiculous."
1: <laughs> In a way, I'm like, I can't believe my clients. I can stick to this for like weeks, months. years. like it's crazy. But this yeah, the flip side, like, is it getting them the results they want? Not usually.
0: Right, right. Well, I think I know that you are kind of anti one sits one size fits all diets. But I'm wondering. You mentioned vegetables, for example. Are there any one size fits all principles that work for most people?
1: Yeah, so I was going to say it's more like a framework or a principle than, of course, a diet. But it's really following the healthy plate, the balanced plate, whatever you want to call it. It's our new food pyramid. We don't have the food pyramid anymore. And it's making half your plate vegetables, quarter of your plate whole grains, and a quarter of your plate healthy proteins with some healthy fat spread throughout. And aiming to eat like that at most lunches and dinners throughout the week, like 80% of the time trying to follow the plate, 20%
0: of the time not, and not worrying about the 20%. mm. So you're a believer in the 80-20, I hear.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, the 80-20 means like, yeah, trying to follow that plate about 80% of the time and then 20% of the time not worrying about the rest, but also not being like all or nothing with that, if that makes sense. Like some people will be like 80% are all quote, unquote, good Monday through Friday. And then just like leave all the quote, not good. You know what I'm saying? Food for the weekend. And that kind of like never gets them anywhere because they're like two steps more or one step forward, two steps back. But I'm like, It's fine. Like if I'm getting pizza, like I'm going to sometimes get veggies on my pizza and get a side salad. But then like sometimes I just want to have pepperoni pizza with no vegetables. Neither Mm -hmm. is right or wrong. But the first I should do most of the time if I'm trying to lose weight. I mean, and have a healthy diet.
0: Yeah, for sure. What about macro counting? I know calorie counting can be tedious. Do you ever use that tool with clients?
1: nope (laughs) i mean i that just sounds okay i will like if they're in my fitness pal we'll look at the pie chart breakdown and i'll kind of tell them like these are the percentages we're kind of aiming for but what's the thing about it is if people are following this healthy plate framework the macros fall into place for most people sometimes people go a little high on fat because they're eating like lots of good fats like avocado peanut butter whatever but i mean i cannot think of something that even sounds worse than like counting calories like it's so time consuming and again, like whatever we do, it has to be sustainable. Um, So maybe that's a tool that works for some for like a short period, but for most, I think they become too obsessed and fixated on it and treating their bodies like this perfect math equation again when it's not.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, I know we're so aligned because just, I would never have somebody do something that I don't want to (laughs) do. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's not the best way to go about it always. And, you know, it's not that I'm trying to make everybody eat exactly the way I eat, but I, a lot of these tools could be helpful for some and Hey, I'm all for it. If you love my fitness pal and that works for you. Awesome. But you're probably not coming to me then. Um, But my uncle will sometimes kind of joke and he'll say, well, Brooke, do you do everything that you're saying? And I'm like, well, yes, I do. Cause it's actually not that hard. Not that it's easy. I don't want to give the idea that habit change is easy, but Yes, I walk the walk because I'm not prescribing anything that's crazy difficult.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm curious, have you changed your mind about anything when it comes to let's start with nutrition over the years after studying and working with clients?
1: So, yeah, I think it's like nutrition is always changing and that's a tough part about our job. Um one thing that comes to mind is like how I grew up in like the low fat craze and like, you know, everything was like low fat, low calorie, but it was just filled with sugar. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't really it wasn't really helpful in the end. But um that was more like in my childhood. But since I've become come into the profession, I would say earlier in my career, there was the mantra of like eating five to six small meals a day to like boost your metabolism Mm -hmm. or keep your metabolism going or whatever that was. And now we know that it's actually about eating like solid meals, like eating enough uh, in that balanced plate, protein, fiber, fat about every three to four hours and spacing it out that gives us better blood sugar control uh, versus eating like every one to two hours. So that's one thing Mm. I see that's
0: changed. Yeah, I remember that. And I still have, I'm sure you still have clients too that come to you and they think that they should be doing that small meal thing. Where did yeah. that even come from? I wonder, is that?
1: I I, I don't know. I I, <laughs> I think it's like maybe the idea that like your, yeah, your metabolism is like your body burning energy and burning calories. And every time you eat, it does that. But it, what's actually happening, as we know, is every time you eat, your blood sugar goes up and Mm-mm. then insulin, the hormone has to come and take that sugar to your cells for energy, which is what it's supposed to do. But if there's extra left over, some of it's stored as glycogen in your muscle and your liver, but the rest is stored as fat if you're eating more calories than your body needs. So if we eat every one to two hours and we're constantly spiking our blood sugar, constantly sending insulin out, I mean, insulin's nickname is the fat storage hormone. So, mm like how can our body be burning fat if it's always storing fat you know what i mean so you yeah. got to have that tie you know I, so i don't know where it came from but uh, this is the knowledge we should, we have now
0: <laughs> yeah it's also all these things are recycled right that it's yeah. like atkins is keto totally is who knows what it'll be called in the future but typically if i think if you can kind of recognize oh this trend existed 20 years ago and now it's coming back. I mean, probably it's not something you have to give a lot of thought to. It's just kind of cycling through the diet world again.
1: Never in my, like, I never would I have thought keto would become like a trendy weight loss diet. Like in my training in the hospital, like it's a diet diet like created for people with seizures. Like it's, I mean, that, that just was my blowing to me. I was like, what people are doing this yeah. to lose weight. And then you're right. It's just like, well, it's low carb.
0: <laughs> yeah. Who knows what, I can't wait to see what it's called 15 years from now. I know. <laughs> hopefully. I mean, the ideal would be that it's gone, but that'll hopefully
1: we have rid the world of diets by then, but I don't uh, know.
0: yeah. One day at a time. What about, have you changed your mind about anything relating to weight loss or have you kind of, kept the same beliefs
1: mm. um yeah I, I probably the same thing around like eating more solid meals and less snacking um although I'm not good at this I try to not eat as much late at night I think we're learning a lot more you know emerging research around um circadian rhythms and eating in line with that uh and then I'd also say like the fitness piece like I definitely was more always like a car I mean I always just enjoyed running it was more like a cardio person and didn't like Particularly love strength training, but as I've gotten older and like learned more about that, I'm like, oh, this is really important and really needed for that like sustainable piece of weight or fat loss because mm-hmm. it's like people are chasing like diets and detoxes and fat burning pills, and it's like just lift weights because that is like a fat burning pill, <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. We muscle is metabolically active, so like it burns more calories. Um, right than fat. And so while you're sitting at your desk all day, it's burning calories for you. So if you want to boost your metabolism, which means increase the number of calories, your body is burning at rest, like lift weights.
0: Yeah. I love that. The fat burning pill is strength training. (laughs) I had a sleep expert say that the natural melatonin is exercise or movement. Mm. So, you know, let's find all of these actual pills, right? To just exercise or move your body to sleep better, do strength training. Or kind of boosted fat burning or especially weight maintenance. Um, probably if it's making some weird promise on a pill bottle, that's not going to be your best bet.
1: Yeah, it's enticing, but um, won't be a long-term change.
0: Right. Speaking of long-term change, are there a couple of habits you recommend to every client who's just starting out on their weight loss journey?
1: Yes. So I go over the healthy plate in our first session for everybody, and I have them start following that and really making half their plate vegetables, but keeping it simple. Like, people also have this idea that everything has to be like this gourmet made meal. And I'm like, no, like, put it in a smoothie, just put some raw veggies on the side of your dinner. Like, it doesn't have to go together, it doesn't have to be some gourmet meal. Like, quick and easy is fine too. Um, but I have them do that. I have them take pictures of their food starting out as a tool and then just talk to them about um, the the ratio or like combination of strength training cardio and then just like daily steps and daily movement and mm-hmm. we'll have them you know we'll kind of start with one thing at a time like we'll we'll take it wherever they're at and figure out if we need to add a different type of workout or like add more time or add more days or what we need to do with that i found especially during the pandemic people's daily steps have just dropped because everybody started working from home and um that was like calorie burn. They used to just have a baseline when they went into the office and they walked around and everything like that. So I've really been helping a lot of people lately um, increase their
0: steps. Yeah, I'm I'm very guilty of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like this past year, I was like at I mean, I didn't really track them before that, but like yeah, I got an Apple Watch and then I was like, oh, I take like 2,000 steps a day when I have client yeah. calls all day. So this is interesting.
0: No, but your stories are motivating because I see you you know, I think you have a daily steps goal and you're kind of getting out there and yes. sharing it often. So I'll and, see you walking and I'm like, oh shoot.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's what I try. Like I try not to make people feel bad. I'm trying to inspire them to like get off their butt and go. But um, thankfully like environment plays a big role too. Like, like we moved, you and I were talking about that. And now um, like I walk, I like to drop my kids at like daycare and school. And like, I'm getting like 10 to 12,000 steps a day, just like, and Just you know, naturally now because of how my environment has changed and how our schedules have changed. Whereas yeah. before I was driving, you know, so that's interesting how environment really plays a role too.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really good point to bring up. Environment. I used to live in New York City, and that I mean, I would get ten thousand steps a day, easy, just walking to the train to between train stops. You know, sometimes I didn't even take the train; I just walked the whole way, and I found it very fun because I was kind of always on a mission. And, you know, I was going somewhere. I wasn't just walking aimlessly. Yeah. So that was something I had to kind of sit down and think about when I moved here of why am I not walking anymore? And I realized it's not as fun for me to just kind of walk in circles around the block. Right. So I realized, you know, if I can give myself more purposeful walking here. So, for example, our library, I think, is about a half mile away. And I like to request library books. So instead of driving to the library, if I just walk to the library and that's kind of a mission I'm on, that's a good way to get steps. Or just trying to think all the self-awareness you can come up with of like, why am I not doing this thing that I know I should be doing? What's the real holdup here? And for me, it was just boring to walk. So Mm -hmm. it's now, how can I have a purpose or how can I save my favorite podcast so that the walk is something that I actually look forward to doing and it's not this terrible thing that I have to do at the end of the day?
1: Yes, agree. Two things on that. First of all, you're a lot healthier than me because I'm like we'll walk for coffee or wine. Like I can walk <laughs> to, like the, get a latte down there or like the wine <laughs> store over there. Like, you know, I was like tell people, I'm, like, if you need to walk, if you want to go get a nice latte or something and that gets you to go walk, then great, go there. But that, that's a good one about the library. Um, but second of all, you're just reminding me like, yeah, if you don't like what you're doing, it's going to be really hard to keep up with it. And so finding movement that you enjoy and also letting go of the idea that every movement has to be like super sweaty and hardcore, like hit workout, right? Just like moving it anyway, hiking, walking, yoga, like it's all good. So,
0: right. I'd love to know, cause I'm always in the market for ideas. What are some of your go-to breakfasts?
1: Okay. I have about four categories I'd say that I rotate. So it's either Greek yogurt, like plain Greek yogurt, usually 2% or like a higher fat because that keeps you full longer with berries. And like, I really love purely Elizabeth granola. Mm. so i actually just had this right before you and i got on (laughs) here That's delicious um or i'll do like a toast like whole grain or whole wheat toast or waffle like kodiak waffles or like dave's killer bread is one of my favorites and i'll put like peanut butter or almond butter on it with like chia seeds and banana or i'll do an egg type thing like two scrambled eggs with avocado toast um and what's my fourth category oh oatmeal i'll do oatmeal or overnight oats with like peanut butter uh, berries, maybe chia seeds, um, stuff like that. So those Yay. are my main categories. I sometimes recommend smoothies to people, but smoothies don't really keep me that full. So I, I the act of eating things just in my opinion, keeps you full longer than drinking. Yeah. Things. But yeah, I don't know. Do you have other categories that you like?
0: <laughs> no, I love those. I, one of the things I actually just posted a reel on it today on Instagram. My new favorite yogurt is Greek yogurt and then adding some of the PB fit peanut butter powder. Have you heard of Ooh, that?
1: Um, yes, I haven't used it though. Sometimes I've put actual peanut butter in my yogurt before, which uh, sounds weird, but it's actually really good.
0: No, it's really good. This is quite addicting. It's um, higher protein and lower calorie than peanut butter yeah. the powdered form, I guess. But um, I don't know. It's amazing. And then I usually put some granola on it with some berries or nuts or seeds. I like that a lot. But yeah. Smoothies. My husband's a big smoothie guy and always wants to make smoothies and I'll go through phases when they're fine. But so, yeah, I agree. Something about drinking my meal isn't as is appealing.
1: If you pour it in a bowl, like you make it really thick and you pour it in a bowl and you do it with a spoon, like I swear you will feel
0: full longer. I think yes. there's
1: science behind this. I haven't gotten yeah. into research lately, but like of actually chewing your food and like swallowing it, it's it's
0: just. Yeah. yeah. People <laughs> say that too, when they have to go on a juice diet from orthodontia or, you know, dental work or something that they just never kind of feel full oh, drinking yeah. everything. Um, but yeah, maybe that would be an interesting study to do if it hasn't been done.
1: Well, it's like predigested. If you think about it, like if you're chewing your food, like you're right. chewing it and then it's like moving slowly through your system. But if you like, everything's already in liquid form, it just goes right through and gets absorbed. Right. Like, so yeah, it makes sense.
0: Totally. What about, uh, go to lunches?
1: Oh my word. I don't know about you, but like all of my clients are hating lunch right now. They're all like, I don't know what to make for lunch. Mm -hmm. I hate lunch. And I'm like, okay, your options are leftovers, which is very easy. If you have them make like, especially it's getting colder, like a crock pot soup or something, or like a chili. Mm -hmm. If you could just make that on Sunday and you can reheat it for the week or like alternate it with dinner leftovers. So you're not eating the same thing five days. That's a good one. Um, I have been living off of like bag salad kits. I'm sure you've seen on Instagram, but those just make it easy to get like most of your plate veggies. And then you just have to add a protein to them because most of them lack protein. So I love the star kiss, like tuna packets. I'll just like put a tuna packet over bag salad kit or buy like chicken already cooked shredded rotisserie chicken sandwiches sometimes I'll do um with like a whole wheat bread and just trying to get half plate veggies by adding carrots or cucumbers or just having vegetables in the fridge that are ready to eat Mm -hmm. like you don't even have to cut makes it very easy to do that or make what I call a kid plate lunch which is Mm -hmm. just all those veggies with some hummus and cheese and whole grain crackers
0: and turkey and call it a day Yeah, I love that. I call it a snack lunch. I don't have kids yet. So,
1: but I love that. other one, I saw a meme. It was like, what was the meme? It was like, you call it, I don't know, something, but we call it kid charcuterie or something. It was like, just (laughs) like, yeah, making it like a fancier name.
0: I mean, yeah, even call it charcuterie. That's really leveling it up for your lunch. Yeah. But I love those ideas. It can just, the word I just keep thinking of is simple. Just, it can be so simple. Again, not to say that habit change is easy, but. It's not that we have to be making these big elaborate meals, or even the uh, meal assembly services. Oh yeah, I have told some
1: yeah some of my clients about those that um the meal kits that are the ones that have meals already cooked that you can just like reheat.
0: Oh yeah, those are great
1: a tool, like maybe you won't use it forever because financially that, you know, it may not work out, but if you need to use it in the meantime, until you, it to help you like have a healthy lunch, there's tons out there. Um, cook unity is one of my clients, uh, mm-hmm. like some basket of course has like the meal kits, but they also have fresh and ready meals to go freshly. There's tons.
0: Yeah. Right. It's just quick little Google find one that has, like you're saying the fiber, some protein, some healthy fats, and you're good to go. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: what do you guys usually do for dinners?
1: Dinners. So, I'm not great about meal planning dinners, but I am pretty good about throwing together a dinner that fits the healthy plate um, with what I have. So, but like standard ones like tacos, we Mm. do a lot, stir fries. Uh, I have this like peanut sauce. Actually, my husband made up the recipe of this peanut sauce. It's really good. And we just do like tofu with veggies with some type of whole grain or or rice. Um, Sometimes we'll do chicken and do a stir fry type thing. Typically, once a week, we'll do like salmon with vegetable and a grain, just like, you know, broccoli, quinoa, something like that. Lot, uh, more soup and crock pot meals in the winter. And then, um, more like grain type salad type bootables in the summer. So mm. those are our main ones. I don't do a lot of like, I don't do a lot of just like chicken. I, I like, I, I like mixed dishes. Like that's the other thing is I feel like people, I call it the trainer diet. People think you have to eat like chicken, broccoli, sweet potato. Like, you know, like, yeah. I just like things to be mixed. So I'm like, just think about having twice as many vegetables as protein and grain. So you can have like a pasta dish or a stir fry and it's like mixed together and it's still delicious and still healthy.
0: What are some of your challenges feeding yourself, but then also feeding kids?
1: Um, I follow other experts in this area because I'm not one, but I've learned a lot from other experts. Um, One being uh, from the get-go, don't make multiple dinners, just make one dinner, but always offer something that you know your kid is going to like. Um, so like the other night I made this gnocchi, I mean, it was like frozen from a bag, but I had this pumpkin Alfredo sauce. I got at Trader Joe's and my kids just, they're not big pasta people. And I knew they weren't going to eat it. I just knew they weren't going to touch it. So I put chicken into it. And then I was like, you know what? On their plate, I'm going to put just plain chicken and avocado on the side. Cause I know they'll eat that. And they ate only chicken and avocado for dinner and they didn't touch the pasta. So yeah. that really helps. And then the second big tip I've had heard from people is like, um, do not, do not like talk about the food at the table. Like I saw, I heard this analogy. It's like if this chef made you this gourmet meal and then stood over you and was like, do you like it? Do you like it? And you're just like, (laughs) could you back off? Like that's what we do to our kids and like their kids. And so they're learning, especially as like toddlers and stuff, like it's sensory and they're learning about the textures and the tastes and stuff like that. So not saying like, do you like it and standing over them and asking them a million questions about it, but rather just like talking about their day or like something that's unrelated to the food. And if you want to talk about the food, talking about like the texture oh it's uh, it's crunchy or like it's red or like not like how does it taste
0: mm, yeah so, um, those are some that's so interesting because when you think about it when adults are at dinner we'll say things like oh these french fries are so crunchy I love them like this or yeah you know this sauce is kind of spicy I love that aftertaste or you know so with kids though you're right it is usually are you gonna eat that why did you not eat that do you not like right. that
1: and and I, yeah, yeah. And it's say the hardest part is like when they don't eat something you offer and like from the experts I follow, they're like, you know, you have to say like nothing else. Like after dinner, like this is what we're having for dinner tonight. You can have, you know, that tomorrow or like, I'll put that on the menu another night, but you feel really bad. Like, I don't want my kid to go to bed hungry. Like I feel so bad. Uh, like the other night my kid literally in bed was like, I'm so hungry. Like he was like crying. And like in the past we would have given him food, but we just like calmed him down and we like, he wouldn't, like they wouldn't sit still at dinner. They were like running around, they wouldn't eat their food. And so the next night he, last night he ate two full tacos. He ate like everything, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. they have to, you know, they have to learn, but I do always try to offer something. I know they'll like, because like, I hate peas. And if someone handed me a whole plate of peas, I would
0: not eat it either. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a good point too. I mean, yeah, they'll learn. And I interviewed a uh, pediatric dietitian, and she was oh, saying nice. something similar of just, you know, kids will make up for it. I mean, they may go to bed feeling a little bit hungry, but then the next morning they'll eat twice as much as they usually do at breakfast, or if they're not eating that much at dinner one night, it's probably because they had a huge lunch. They're pretty good, unlike us as adults, of kind of right. moderating their hunger.
1: They're intuitive so, eaters, right? Because yeah. Because they haven't had as many influences. And that is true. So like one of my kids in daycare, they eat a really late snack. And so they would like never eat dinner when they came home. But then now my other kid's in school and he like devours his dinner. So it's just kind of, yeah, exactly. Being aware of those things, like she said. And I think, um, you know, not the really hard one too, this is all a tangent, but like um, – it's really hard not to say like you have to eat your vegetables to get your dessert, that kind of stuff. And I know, and she probably recommended against that a lot of people do. Um, So I try to not do that kind of stuff either, but Mm -hmm. it's hard.
0: I've even seen on some of the expert, you know, child feeding Instagrams that they'll put a few little M&Ms or something on the plate with the dinner to just kind of demystify dessert. So it's not like, we save up and we eat all of our food, and then we get this sweet yeah. treat. It's just kind of like here's five M and M's next to your chicken, and yeah, like all foods can kind of fit, and no food is good or bad. But then maybe having a conversation about the nutrients in the chicken versus the M and M's. Yeah, I don't know. It's just such a different way I think than when we were raised. Totally. Um, but interesting conversations to have, you know, around feeding kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've heard that as well to offer the dessert with the dinner. I can't say I am there yet um, because I know my kids would just eat the dessert and they wouldn't eat any of their (laughs) food, but also we don't eat dessert every night. It's not like something we do every night. You know what I mean? So it's not like every night they're trying to eat to save up for dessert. It's just like, if we have something that night, we will. If we don't, we don't, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad it's good. I think it'll be better for this uh, generation. Also the whole, like you know, not telling people to clean their plate. That's a big one because I know your clientele and mine grew up being told to clean your plate. And so then people, right. are not intuitively eating. They're just like trying to clean their plate, but learning to stop when you're full. So I am big on that too. Like if you're full, you don't have to eat anymore.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think too, we can learn so much from kids just watching kids eat and watching them stop when they're full and thinking we lost kind of those sensory triggers because of our, you know, so many things, messaging and diets, whatever. But trying to kind of get back to more that childlike way of eating of maybe eating slower and, um, you know, stopping at a certain point, probably not running around at the dinner table. That's probably <laughs> something oh we don't want to return to.
1: <laughs> this is just, yeah. You have, don't you have two boys? A five and two year old boy. Yeah. yeah it's very yeah, so. chaotic. It's lots of like, standing, <laughs> please sit down, please sit down in your chair. Please. Why are um, you running around? Like, yeah, it's, it's chaotic, but you know, <laughs>
0: Well, I'm sure that is kind of one of your challenges, but I I always like to hear, you know, what are some of your personal challenges when it comes to sustaining a healthy diet and lifestyle yourself?
1: <laughs> oh, so, yeah, I'll just blame the kids for all of this. I feel like yeah, I was pretty healthy until they came around. <laughs> no, um, late night eating for sure is um, something I struggle with. Like, like I don't think it's bad to eat at night, whatever. I always tell my clients there's like four reasons we eat. Either we're like physically hungry we're stressed, we're bored, or we're just like craving something specific. Like we just want chocolate or something. Right. So it can help at like night. I feel like after dinner, especially to assess those things and be like, which one is the reason I'm eating right now? Like none of them are bad, but kind of knowing which one it is can help you. But I'll just say like, it's because you put the kids so chaotic with little kids, like putting them to bed and it's so stressful. And then you're just like, Oh, I just want to like veg out on the couch and like scroll on Instagram and not do anything. And two things happen. One, I stay up way too late. Because right. it's my only quiet time. And I know mm-hmm. when I go to bed, it's I'm going to wake up and it's all going to start over again. Right. So I like stay up too late. Well, if you stay up really late and now it's been five hours since you had dinner, you're hungry again, right? So then you end up eating and, of course, you want like cereal or like chips or something, like not vegetables. So that's one thing. And then, of course, not getting enough sleep leads to me. You know, I aspire to be the mom like wakes up at five thirty or six and like works out before her kids wake up. I wake up to my kid like my kids like wake me up like yeah. I, it's just a, everything's a season too and a phase. You know, my kids are little and maybe once they sleep through the night and I will wake up early and do that. But I'd say it's been really hard to consistently work out since I yeah. had kids because I used to go to classes and probably the pandemic didn't help this. But used to like love going to workout classes and stuff like that. And it's just it's hard to be consistent now. So
0: right, those are my challenges. No and I think it's always just good to talk about, you know, because I think sometimes you're very real and I hope to be real as well on my Instagram, but I think people can follow different dietitians, nutritionists, fitspo influencers or whoever mm-hmm. and they they make it seem like all of a sudden you just hit this point in life when everything's easy and there's no challenges at all and I'm doing this effortlessly. What's wrong with you? And yeah. really that's not the case at all. Like I love how you talk about the seasons in life we're always yeah. all having challenges of our own. And it's like me, it's hard for me, not hard, but um, well, yeah, I guess it is. It's hard for me to motivate myself to go outside. I would just stay inside all day if I had a yeah. choice. I just love being inside.
1: <laughs> so that's it's funny.
0: like, I've learned, Brooke, put it on your calendar that at 5pm, you're going to go for a walk. So I will literally put it into my calendar. And that's yeah. helped me. But it's a system. It's about it systems,
1: is. right? Systems yeah. and, habits and like. Even today, I was talking to someone who's just like, I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated. And I love James Clear, Atomic Habits. Uh, yeah. I, you've read it, I'm sure. And, and he says, you're not going to get motivation. Like, a thing that co- that leads to motivation is taking action. Like, taking yeah. action will help you get motivated. It's hard, but it's like doing his two-minute rule or whatever. He's just like, go outside for two minutes. And then that will probably lead to 5 or 10 or 15. But yeah. it, and same with working out. People will be like, it's overwhelming to think about doing a 45-minute workout. So do 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, it, small changes that you can keep up with.
0: Yep. And maybe some days you'll just stop at 10 and maybe some days you'll do 30, but yeah, you know, just getting, getting it there, doing the thing. Um, I think he was the one who used the analogy too, or maybe, I don't think I made this up or somebody did that if you only floss your teeth, let's say when you felt motivated to do so, you would never floss your teeth. Cause it's like, I never feel motivated. I never feel like, I'd never feel excited to do it, but it's just something that I do out of discipline right. and habit at this point. Habit.
1: And like, um, I don't know, tough love. Like I do things sometimes I don't like to get things I want. Like, I, you know, like I don't really like brushing my teeth. I do. And I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, you're saying, yeah. It's like
0: I just do it because I like the outcome, but you know, yeah. You're not always going to love everything you're doing
1: <laughs> and that is probably where the like influencers and stuff is, is kind of stra- straight people because it kind of makes it look like you have to love every part of like being healthy yeah which
0: like,
1: you know I don't think you have to
0: no and I'm very candid about the majority of times I do strength training I don't want to do it I don't I don't jump off my chair and like super excited to go lift weights or do push-ups or something, and usually during it, I'm like, "This kind of hurts," and so this isn't the most fun. But I yeah. always feel great afterward. Yeah. So it's remembering that feeling, and again, making it a system, putting it in your calendar, whatever you have to do to actually do it. But- and
1: accountability, because I yep. told you I like am very hard to be self motivated with strength training. So I finally just got a trainer in the spring. I see her once a week. I'm like. And the same reason people pay us to keep them accountable with food. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's going to ensure I actually do it every week. Having yeah.
0: Show up no, party. I love that. Yeah. Well, this conversation has been great. Uh, the last question I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment?
1: Okay, the health investment. So- investment when i think of that word i think about getting a positive return on something like in the future mm-hmm. so i think for my clients and the work that we do it's like the positive return is them they're putting in the work now to create these small sustainable habits to get this return of like not feeling guilty anymore around food not seeing food as good or bad not being all or nothing having that freedom like i just think about going out with your girlfriends to get like drinks and apps and how much like stress and anxiety that causes for some people, because like what am I going to eat and what should I not have and all this stuff, but to be able to just go do that and not even really think about the food and get what you want and know that like one meal is not going to make or break it. Like what you do most of the time matters more than what you do every once in a while. And so I think the health investment's not just like, you know, the investment money investment, like working with someone like a nutritionist or a trainer, but also like, the the small habits you do every day that are going to give you that positive
0: return. Yeah, so many parallels with monetary investments, right? The yes, <laughs> compound interest, the dividends, but. That- yeah, no, that was really, that's a great way to think about it. Well, Okay, said. I
1: don't know that much about finance and money. So you'll have to leave <laughs> that one to your other guests. That, that was my answer, though.
0: <laughs> no, I love it. No, I, I actually great. just interviewed somebody about finances and she was talking about that. So I kind of okay, stole cool. that from her. I I'm definitely make- going
1: to go listen to that because it sounds like something <laughs> I need to listen to.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, where can listeners follow and find you?
1: Yeah. So on Instagram, weight.loss.dietitian, or if you type in my name, Lainey Yunkin, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one and website is laneyunkin.com. and I'm sure you can put that in the notes or something so people can spell it, but those are the main places.
0: Yeah. I will put both links in the notes and again, Lainey, just so grateful to have you here sharing your wisdom with my audience today and I look forward to staying connected.
1: Thank you so much, Brooke. This has been really great. I've really enjoyed it. Appreciate it.
0: Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice